Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. You are back in the house of mystery, and I don't know why. <laughs> um, Mr. Dave sitting over in the corner there. I'm right here. Hey, yeah, you, how you you're doing? not lurking today. I'm not lurking? That was yesterday. Are you sure? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Stories are, but I, I don't want to mm. talk rumors. There's too much of that going on around now. You know? That's true. Let's stay away from that stuff. So. <laughs> it's safer. It, well, it, 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 I'm told it is. I don't know that it always is. But um, I've got my mask on and my gloves, and I'm ready to go. Oh, perfect. <laughs> uh, well, today, today we, we've got someone all the way um, from the other side of the, the water, the pond, they call it, right? Mm. Um, and, and Scotland, not Ireland. Don't, any, don't anybody get this mixed up? We, <laughs> no, no. So uh, we've got a, a writer, and this is a really interesting book here. The book is called A Murder of Crows. Just the name and the, and the cover is enough to get you going. And the writer is Ian Skewis. Thank you for being here, Ian. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's, it's a pleasure. It really is. I, I find it really interesting to... Um, talk to writers from the UK and um, kind of because in a lot of the mysteries and a lot of suspense and uh, even horror, there's sort of a different element to UK writers as compared to, let's say, American writers, I find. Do do you find a difference? Uh, Well, certainly um, in Scotland, um, you know, in terms of crime writing, uh, we have a very um, close-knit community, and um, 
we're huge fans of crime writing in Scotland. Um, it just seems to go with the territory. There's a huge following for crime novels. I mean, UK-wide, certainly, um, but particularly in Scotland. Uh, we even have a festival called Bloody Scotland, which is a, a famous uh, crime writing festival. And that in itself, you know, gives you an indication of just how popular um, and how bloodthirsty we are. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you know, there's... Uh, yes. Um, well, I, th- I think it's... Um, it's kind of a psychological angle to um, British mystery. It's kind of almost a, uh, there's more of a comment on uh, human behavior um, in society rather than a particular one-on-one case. I know it's hard for me to explain, but I find a difference in, uh, in, in the writing. And uh, anyway. I think it might be because... I think in the UK we're, we're more reserved perhaps than perhaps our US counterparts. And I think the writing, I think it's reflected in the writing. So the writing becomes more almost like a chamber piece, you know, instead of an orchestra. You know, it's more reserved, more contained. And so it becomes more in the head, most maybe not necessarily cerebral, but I think it, it, it kind of emanates more from there. Um, Perhaps, and so I, th- I think it's more. I think we tend towards the more the psychological, the police procedurals, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think there's a that the, the may well be, you know, I think it's smaller scale, perhaps as well. Right. In some ways. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're definitely a different flavor. Um, now, a murder of crows. This is a, you called your debut uh, novel, and so it came out in seventeen. Um, yes. Big, big seller for you. It did really well. It looks like a number one bestseller. And, um, yes. And so when you first, well, actually, this, let's go back. So what made you decide, um, that you felt you had a book in you to write that you think you can get published? Like what, what, what's going through your mind at the time, um, when you wanted to write this book? Uh, I'll, I'll try and give you a short version because the book was some 28 years in the making. Um, it was a long, long time. Uh, it was originally, because uh, I used to be an actor, and um, it was originally going, in fact, going, going even further back, I was at art school, and I was planning on writing a graphic novel. And then um, I went to drama school, trained as an actor, and whilst I was there, um, I began rewriting it as a screenplay um, and, a, and then a stage play. And I'd written about an 80-page version of it at that point. But I still couldn't quite get down on paper what was inside my head. And I still couldn't, I, I still wasn't satisfied with it. And it wasn't until many years later, uh, I think it was 2010, I finally completed the first draft of what would become the novel version. And... Um, Eventually, I plucked up the courage to, you know, send it to a publisher, um, and that publisher was unbound. And by 2017, finally, um, that story came out. So it was a long uh, time in the making. <laughs> well, that's you know, I find that's really interesting that you had the courage to actually decide to do that. Um, it kind of came out of left field because. Um, 
I think I think it was an a fellow author, um, and bear in mind I was unpublished, so I think this was a, a published author who had mentioned that Unbound were looking for new books, and what I did was I pitched the book on Twitter because that's what they'd asked you know budding authors to do, and um, it got accepted. So I then sent I think uh, the, the the manuscript, and um, within about. I think it was only a few days I had a publishing deal with them. Um, and you mentioned the word courage. I would certainly say if there's any budding writers out there, I think courage is, is something that, that is required, you know, by a lot of authors. It's, it's really quite terrifying, I think, to put your work out there and have it open for criticism. Um, and I, I struggled for many years with my confidence with this book and um, I had to, even when I was three quarters of the way through writing it um, I had to literally tell the voices in my head to keep quiet because I, I, I knew that I had something which I thought was good but unfortunately those self-doubts creep in and you have those voices literally saying to you, you know, nobody's going to want to read this book Ian, why are you wasting your time with it things like that so if there are any budding authors out there I would certainly say by all means, it's good to have a, a an inner crit critic, but sometimes you have to switch them off in order to get the work done. You know, at the end of the day. Yeah. <clears throat> Plus, did you, did you get some psychological help with that, with the hearing voices? And stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I knew you were going to say that. This <laughs> is one of those things, you know. I, yes. You know, I, yeah, we did, didn't we, Ian? Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole family did, all in the mind. Get a whole group. Yes, yeah. After they hatcheted them to death, yeah, they, it was fine. I didn't hear the voices at all anymore. Yeah, well, that it, it works. <laughs> when in doubt, cut the neck. Um, exactly. Well, you know, so how would you describe A Murder of Crows? Like, so someone who's not sure what, what, what kind of a book we're talking about, how would you put a description on it? Um, it's about a detective who is about to retire and he's on what he thinks is his final case and it seems fairly straightforward and I think he's at the stage, you know, he becomes quite, it's not that he's lazy, he's, he's become a bit complacent though and I think he's a bit jaded. He also has, you know, problems which are revealed in the, the course of the book, which are distracting him as well. So he gets caught out because this ends up being perhaps his biggest ever case. Um, and it, it's really a race against time because he realises perhaps too late that he's actually discovered a serial killer, but a serial killer who is just getting started. And yeah, that's kind of it. It's a police procedural. Um, it's certainly crime genre, but it sometimes steps into the horror genre as well. Um, it's largely set outdoors, um, so it has a very panoramic, almost filmic feel to it, I guess, um, but it's very claustrophobic at the same time. It's kind of, it's kind of unusual. So now your you're detective, I, yeah, <laughs> I love this, the name, what is it, mm. Jack Russell? Jack Russell, yes. I have a Jack Russell dog. It's <laughs> <laughs> my your detective is my dog. Um, but um, so Jack Russell, who is Jack Russell? Is that like someone that you, because I, oh, let's go back. You Writers put a lot of themselves into the characters, especially the main characters. And there's a little bit of you in it for sure. 
but so where does Jack Russell come from besides the influence you put in? Um, Jack Russell, I mean, he, he's kind of, you know, he's a large, uh, I think I describe him in the book as an almost past it rugby player type. He's, you know, he's over the hill. I think he's quite exhausted a lot of the time as well. I think that the part of me that's in there is the, is the self-doubt. He doubts himself a lot. Um, he has a, a slightly brash exterior, but he has a soft underbelly and he's, you know, he's that kind of person. Um, and I think, so he's got, um, you know, I think what he's got that, that is very much a part of me is that, um, you know, ability to, to see and root for the underdog, but also someone who has doubts about himself. He's never, I don't think he's ever entirely sure of himself, um, which I thought made for an interesting detective, you know, because one of the things you require is to be sure about what you're about to do or the evidence you've collated. But this this person has a lot of room for doubt. He gives a lot of room for doubt and, you know, that, that kind of causes him problems as well. So it's an interesting mix, I think. Well, I was wondering too, you know, you're talking about hearing voices. <laughs> I wanted to, uh, to bring this up. You know, I was just wondering how you experience uh, your characters, how you experience Jack and, you know, other characters within the story. Um, can you hear their voices in your head while you're writing or uh, do you have some other method of, of uh, creating dialogue? Um, it's certainly with the case of Alice. Alice is, um, she's one of the most popular characters in the book. And her particular story is is very different from the others in that she has dementia. So I had to approach writing her character in a very different way um, because each of her chapters, it's from her point of view. So I had to literally get inside her head and see what she sees, but also to 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 understand what it's like when you don't see. For example, she has a lot of blackouts. So one minute she can be in the kitchen and it's the middle of the day. And then the next minute, in the blink of an eye, she's outside and the sun is setting and she's in a nightdress and she's got no idea what happened between those two points. And one of the reasons I wrote her into the book was because it was just a story that interested me. I can't re recall where it came from, how it integrated into the book, but I thought it was a really interesting tale. And the idea of having someone who has early onset dementia to have them in a crime novel I mean it's terrifying enough you know as an illness in itself but to then have that person in the midst of a, a murder story made it you know more heightened so her dialogue is very much defensive you know it meant that she you know she actually becomes because she has a, an assistant who helps her a carer and it meant her dialogue was quite brittle a lot of the time so she speaks in a very different way to someone like Jack. Jack's, you know, kind of goes between being very brusque at some points and then very, very gentle. He almost behaves like a, a therapist at times, actually. So, um, I guess as an, as an ex actor, you know, I was able to draw on a lot of my influences from when I was training at drama school and, and doing stage plays and television, et cetera. So, um, yes, to answer that question, I, I guess, you know, you can hear the rhythm. It might not be that I hear the actual tone of voice, but I can certainly hear the rhythm of how that person might speak in any given moment. Mm. Do you actually dress up like the characters too? When 
<laughs> no, I am no Norman Bates. <laughs> In the night dress and forget No, her. no, and a wig with a knife, yeah. no. Oh, nothing wrong with that. I don't get into carrots of that way. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. And if I did, I wouldn't be admitting on radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when we bring up the pictures. Yes, uh, exactly. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, and now, when you get a, uh, a book and you're writing and there's a serial killer involved, how do you research for something like that? Do you find yourself going out and, and looking for a particular type of serial killer and trying to study up, or is it uh, from practice? Like, what, what, where does that come from? <laughs> um. I didn't do. See, the, the thing is, when I, when I approached um, this book, and I think it's how I, I, how I approach all things. I don't think of, say, that particular character as a serial killer, because the serial killer probably doesn't view himself as that either. You know, if you really think about it, so they see themselves as someone who perhaps is justified in what they do, or they've got a very very good reason for it, even though it's completely, you know malign and the opposite, the antithesis to what everybody else would believe, you know. So I approached it, you know, not from the fact that he's just a serial killer, but actually that this person is a, a real three-dimensional person as well. Um, and that gave the the story and that particular character a lot of layers, um, because what I wanted to write was a character and not just a you know, a knife-wielding maniac. I wanted to really get under the skin of this person and to show actually that there are moments when they're actually likeable too. They're not just, you know, they don't play on one note all the time. There's a whole series of, of notes going on, you know, um, under their skin, as it were. Yeah, yeah, they can be quite like anybody else. It's just uh, there's something um, something off, of course. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um so I wonder how do you how do you come up with a story like this? Like, what do you where do you think it comes from for you? Like to put to put together something like this, especially it, you said you did it over such a long period of time. Um, well, this particular story um, goes right back to when I was probably about nine years old, and my parents and I were out for a walk. We used to live across from some farmers' fields. So access to the countryside was really easy for us. And we used to go for a lot of walks um, most weekends. And on this particular occasion, we were coming back and we discovered a dead body um, hanging from a tree. And um, I was nine years old. Um, my dad rushed over to see if this person in any way, shape or form might still be alive you know you never know with these things because we, we saw this body at a distance and um it, we were too late we phoned the police but it seems that someone else had already got there before us and the police were already on their way but my mother um she kept me away from the body obviously which was the right thing to do i was only a child after all but um it's strange i, I guess looking back on it I, i'd already started to fictionalize it in my head quite soon afterwards, because even when I think of it now, I'm actually just a few feet away and I'm looking up at him and I can make out his features and everything. You know, it's, 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 it's strange how the mind fills in the gaps. And within a few days, you know, that poor man who it seemed had committed suicide, we found that out afterwards. Um, he had killed himself. He wasn't a murder victim. Um, he got into debt apparently and, and, and killed himself. And, um, 
or, you know, within a few days, all the children in the street started making up ghost stories about that place. Don't go down to that neck of the woods. And so it, it quickly became fictionalised in itself. And that, um, although I didn't mention anything to do with that in the novel, that atmosphere, that idea of going into the countryside and encountering something dark is very much prevailing in, in the atmosphere of A Murder of Crows. Um, a Murder of Crows reeks of this dark, foreboding atmosphere, you know, throughout from the beginning to the end, and much of it is set outdoors in the countryside. So certainly that was the genesis of A Murder of Crows. And, and that's, an un, that's well, it's a great name for a book, and it's, an, you know, what does that mean in, in, in to the story? Um. <clears throat> it took the, the original title for the book was almost science fiction sounding, and I knew that I had to think about marketing the book somewhere down the line. And I thought, well, I can't use that title, so I knew that you know, given that there was a, a murder in the book, I thought, well, I, I probably need to have that in the title somewhere, and to loosely fit it into the crime genre. So. But because it was set outdoors and much of it, you know, there's a farmer, one of the main characters is a farmer and there is a, a subplot, um, regarding, you know, his fields and what goes on there and, and stuff. So I decided a murder of crows. It's not a unique title. It's been used many times before uh, in film and in, in novels. Um, but it fitted this book perfectly. And I thought, well, even though it's been tried and tested, I'm going to stick with that. And I'm glad I did. I think it was the right thing to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's always good to steal another title. <laughs> 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 you know, um, <laughs> why not? Oh, boy. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's true. I mean, it's true. There, there are so many books out there called that, you know, but it was, it was the right title for this book by, you know, definitely. Um, in fact, uh, I was, I was a, I was actually doing a, a festival and, uh, a well-known author had said that they, she was going to call her book A Murder of Crows and her agent said, don't do it because it's been used. And then she saw mine and that it had been a bestseller and she went, I'm never going to listen to you again. Oh, I was going to say, I thought maybe the two of you got into a big fight or something. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I thought somebody did get in touch, mind you, about the title and said, Matt, you know, a friend of mine has written a book with that same title. But I then had to explain to me, you cannot copyright a title. Yes. Yeah. No, because there's, there's, you know, there's so many. And, and it is part of the English language. It's a well-known phrase, you know, so you can't really steal it. It's, it's a well-known phrase. It's part of the English language. So, um, you know, so Yabu sucks, basically. <laughs> yeah, Dave's next book is The Murder of Crows, too. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> part two, right. Yeah. yeah, just so you know. Part two. You know, it's just, he's doing the follow-up. You know. <laughs> yeah, and he's going to give himself a pen name as well. Yeah, Excuse yeah that's <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's it. That's Boy. perfect. Good well, idea. You got it now. There we go. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, do you, did you have a point um, for the book besides the story, or decide? You know, it seems like the atmosphere was one of the key elements, and and setting up the uh, story and being a character analysis and all this. So it's a very intense story. But was there something else in your mind that you were hoping people uh, take away from the book? I think uh, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why I think, you know, authors in, in some cases need to have that, that word courage, you know, repeated. You know, it's um, 
you never quite know if your ideas are going to get across when you write your first novel, you know, depending on how you enter the business of publishing and writing. You know, I entered almost through a side door, you know, because I didn't have an agent at the time. Um, so I didn't get that. And, you know, the, the first feedback I got was from the editor, I guess. And it wasn't until then I, I, I started to understand, OK, this is actually working. It's, you know, people are getting the the nuances of the book, they're getting what I'm trying to put across because it's kind of a no man's land up until that point, you know, so it's a, it's, it's a tricky one, you know, and I think it's still something that I get anxious about, you know, I, I, I'm always wringing my hands a little bit thinking, are people going to get what I'm trying to do, you know, with this book? And I think it was, um, I just wanted to write something that, and it was more for, for me than anybody else. It wasn't that I was trying to wow anybody with it. I just knew that I had to get this story out there. You know, it had been sitting in me for so long. You know, it was over 28 years. And I thought, I've got to get this out somehow. Because I felt um, it was, I don't know, maybe I was exercising some ghosts along the way, perhaps. You know, I didn't realise until it, it was actually published just how much that um, event in my childhood had really affected me. For many years, I'd downplayed it, you know, and then when the book came out and I, I was able to start being objective about it again, I really began to understand just how much that did affect me as a child, even though I was protected from it to a certain extent, you know. So it's a, it's been a strange, you know, cycle of events, you know, with, with this book. Yeah, writing is very cathartic. Right? Oh, I've Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> that word. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Use that word again. I was just telling him I was getting so tired. Everyone's Don't using that word now. It's cathartic. And they say that every time. I'm saying that. I'm just sort of, I just said to him last week, and <laughs> now he uses that. that word. I know what's going on here. <laughs> I'm just doing it to needle you well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, with the old cliches, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're also you know a pr prolific editor yourself, with I believe yes. over a hundred books um, under your belt, yes. uh, editing for other writers. Uh, does that help you create your fiction, or is it harder to to sit down and do your work with you know all the editing that that you're doing? It's um. It's, I'm, an, I'm very lucky in that I'm a very, very busy editor. Uh, I'm inundated with books um, and have been uh, for the past three years or so. But the, the downside is, yes, it does affect my own writing. So I should have had a second novel out by now and I haven't managed it because there's just been so much mm. editing work coming in. Um, so what I've done instead is to write um, short stories and I've started the beginning of what, what will be a series of kind of novelettes or novellas uh, which are available on my website. Um, so, I'm, so I'm still trying to put something new out every year. Um, so it's a, a blessing and a curse. But the one good thing, or the, the, certainly a blessing, is that I understand now, because I think when I wrote A Murder of Crows, it was written very naively. I didn't really have a plan. You know, I just wrote it quite instinctually. You know, I, I didn't really um, have a... I had a rough idea how I would approach it, but I approached it very naively, uh, which in some ways was good. You know, it meant that the book stood out. It wasn't quite the same kind of crime book that other people were, you know, perhaps, you know, um, going to write, you know, so it was a little bit different. 
from from the rest, it was a bit of a black sheep, perhaps. And uh, so it meant. But now that I'm an editor, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I understand about, you know, structure and, you know, mapping out timelines and, you know, rather than writing by the seat of my pants, you know, I think it would be somewhere in between that and, you know, adopting a, a structure for the book. And I certainly think the the next book that I have in mind in terms of writing a novel will require a, a quite, quite a dense structure um, to begin with. Yeah, but I wonder, you know, because isn't there something to be said about just getting the story out and then going to the... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The editing after, I, I would think that was always on your mind. Um, I think it depends on who you are as a writer. I think there, there's no, I, I wouldn't say there's there's a, a right or a, a wrong way as such, but I think it, as an editor, certainly, you know, I, I get all kinds of books when I do all sorts of genres and all different authors at all different levels. So for some authors, particularly debut authors, um, usually they require to be taught about structure and how to really approach the timeline of the book. Because if the timeline's wrong, for example, the the plot falls apart very quickly and it's really difficult to follow the story. So, you know, if, if there's any authors out there, I'd, I would always say, you know, even if you write by the seat of your pants and you, you do just want to get it out there, try and make sure you've got a rough timeline, um, which kind of acts as a, a backbone for the book, you know. But... Certainly, by all means, get the book out there on paper or on the screen, first of all. Do that if you need to, and then go back in and you can fine-tune it. 
Um, it really depends on the individual. You know, there, there's many different ways to approach it, and none of them are wholly right or wholly wrong. And all an ed- editor can really do is try and help the author, partly to find their voice, perhaps, if they're a debut author, but more importantly, to try and just bring out the voice of the author and to hone the book and to make it the best book it can possibly be. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, uh, you know, it, when you're first writing, I find, for me anyway, it was sort of, it felt like a um, a struggle with the editors um, because they they seem like they're being real, um, you know, they pick apart everything. <laughs> so it feels like they're being, you know, like you're being attacked sort of. And especially when you're a new writer, you feel very um, slight at that way. Like it feels very... It, it, yeah, you're very, very protective of your baby, yeah. which is your boot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I think the idea is um, writers have to learn that it's um, they're really trying to make your book better. Yes, absolutely. You know, they're not trying to uh, tell you you can't write. They're just trying to help you so that people, the more people that can understand it, the better the book will be. More will read it. You know, yeah, and stuff. So yeah, it's a hard thing. So, are you? Are you? sitting down then and structured in your writing do you have to do you plan the time you know here i'm sitting down from you know 10 to 4 today and i'm going to write and and all this and can you just do it or is there an emotional side that has to be in tune um when i wrote a murder of crows i mean it was literally written sometimes when i was traveling to work um it was written in, you know, just whenever I could grab time. But it's not how I would want to write a novel. It wasn't an ideal situation. Um, so what I would do now, you know, and what I do or have done since with the short stories and the novella um, is to set aside time each day. It doesn't have to be the same time every day. It depends because every day is different for me, um, depending on the demands of my editing and what else is happening in my life at the time. Um, but... It's certainly something, you know, that I try to adhere to. Um, at the moment, I'm taking a break from writing. Um, I intend to go back to it probably um, in June so that I can get some new work out there. Um, but certainly uh, for the past six months, it's purely been editing. Um, but that's something I want to resolve. I need to, you know, um, divide my time a bit more evenly which is something I'm beginning to do now. I'm trying to just spread the, the editing out a little bit so that I've got a bit more time for myself. The The problem is we've, we've had this pandemic, so it was all too easy to just keep working, 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 and forget about it because there was nowhere to go. I couldn't really go out, um, which was a blessing initially, but now I'm, I'm desperate to just get out and get some more fresh air, mm. try and get my life back on track. You know, it's it's difficult you know it's it, i don't know how you find it you know as an author too it's very easy to to get stuck in indoors and just on that you know that cog wheel of work 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 right 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 you know and it's difficult to give yourself a break and i, I don't I, I tend to feel sometimes i shouldn't be giving myself a break as well which is ridiculous you know it's, it sounds silly but you know you always think oh i could be doing this though you know it's just I, do you feel that all the time all yeah. the time. I have a I have a real problem with um, justifying doing nothing. You know, yeah. yes. I have to sit there and yes. say, well, you know, I've just worked twelve hours a day for the last how many weeks? How about taking a day off and then 
you know, one hour into it, you're like, well, I better go do this. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's really tough. <laughs> you know, I, I don't mind not going out and seeing people because I don't, you know, I don't, people don't like me. So, <laughs> so it's probably better if I don't because then they don't have anything bad to say about me. But, so I just take my dogs out and go, I take my Jack Russell for a walk. And, um, yeah. and that's enough fresh air. So I don't know. I guess everyone's different, right? But um, Absolutely. But, yeah, yeah. you're right. It, you can get stale being in the same yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe that nobody likes you, though. Oh, please. <laughs> I like you, Al. Oh, there you go. I like you. There's two people that like you. Oh, see? <laughs> I'm on my way up. <laughs> We know you were you were talking about uh, novellas, and you've been writing a lot of short fiction. Do you have a preference? If if all things being equal, would you rather um, write short uh, short fiction, uh, short novels, novellas, or novels? Do, do you think you're more of a natural in in one of those different uh, lengths? Um, I think I seem to have an aptitude for a short story, certainly, but I I, I think. You know, a murder of crows, you know, looking back on it, I would have, you know, if I was doing it now, I would approach it differently in terms of how I would write it, you know, in terms of it would be more structured from the outset for that would certainly be one of the, the changes I would have made, you know, if I, in my approach. Um, but I'm desperate to write my second novel. You know, I've, uh, I started a sequel to a murder of crows and then the editing took off and that gets set aside. Then I, Started another different novel um, that had to get set aside. So I've got I've got I've got several novels which I've got you know I've done rough outlines for, but I just don't have the the time at the moment to actually sit down and you know give quality time to each one of them, um, which is frustrating because I've got you know I think I've got really good ideas, but I just can't get them out there at the moment, and that's something I really want to change you know in the next few months uh, and get stuck into the second novel you know. I wonder, you know, when I was um, a new writer and I was talked into writing a book, I had a two-book deal on a publisher, and I didn't really want to do it, um, but <laughs> I did it. And and the one book became a really big hit, and second printing, it did, you know, all this stuff, and it was just this huge thing that I didn't expect or really want. Um, uh-huh. And that really frustrated me to do when I went to start writing the next time. I wonder if the pressure of, of doing a second book is, is, is something you're feeling too as well. Because I found that I would go to other things um, that I, you know, I, I had to do, but I could have made more time. But it seemed like I was jumping into other things to kind of avoid doing that thing. Because your first book's got a lot of praise, and it's done quite well for uh, you know, first novel here. This is uh, so. Do you feel kind of a pressure, maybe, of, of continuing that with a second book by in the same category? I think uh, at the time, I mean, I still get people asking me when is the sequel going to come out. But the problem is, I never wrote it with a sequel in mind. And although I've got an idea for a sequel, I'm still not a hundred percent sure whether I'll ever do it because it was written. I mean, it ends a certain way, which would lend itself to a sequel, but it ended that way very deliberately. And if, if readers look closely enough, they'll understand exactly why. Um, not, not every reader catches it, I hasten to add. It's quite subtle, but it is there in, in the text. There is a tendency, you know, in crime writing to want to do, you know, to 
to have a series of books out and because they, they tend to sell. And I, I know a lot of the, perhaps the, you know, it becomes a commercial enterprise then. But I don't think I'm that kind of writer. You know, I don't want to do a whole series of books with the same character. Um, I've got too many other ideas, you know, that I want to, to put out there. So I think in some ways, perhaps the sequel has been deliberately, you know, put to one side for other reasons other than the ones that I've already mentioned. Um, because I, I've got other ideas that I would like to do first and then maybe go back to that world of Jack Russell and see if they, you know, that sequel, um, is ready. I mean, I, I've got a good idea of how it will pan out. It's a very different kind of book. But it's very much, yeah, it's Jack Russell, um, you know, that's at the forefront of it again. Why don't you do a prequel <laughs> before? <laughs> I have thought about that. Um, I've actually, I mean, I've got a sequel planned, um, which, which I think is a, is quite a surprising sequel and that it doesn't do what sequels tend to do. It, it, it's, it's quite different, I think, in terms of how it evolves. And I did have the idea of a prequel as well. Um, but the prequel feels like, at the moment, it feels too extraneous. It feels like I'd be tacking it on for the sake of it at the moment. I don't think I've got a good enough story for that. And it really has to be good enough, you know. I wouldn't, um, I don't want to just cash in, you know, on the success of the first book by doing a sequel and the sequel's nowhere near as good. You know, I, I would really have to be sure that this um, second book was good enough, you know. And I did, I did discuss this. I, I did get approached um by a, a screenwriter um, a number of years ago, and we're still loosely in touch. Um, and we were talking about, you know, A Murder of Crows and, you know, would it be a good film Would or should it be a TV series, that kind of thing. And I, I, I've always envisaged it as a, a three or four part television series, you know, um, a drama. Um, because I think it, it, the way the book is divided up, it, it kind of lends itself to that. So we discussed all those things, you know, on the while the book was still, you know, at the peak of its success, I guess. Um, but, you know, time has passed now. He's doing other things. I'm doing other things. You know, we're still in touch. Um, and I think the sequel, if, if it, you know, pans out the way I think it will, it's quite a different, you know, book. It's, it's more of a chamber piece, actually. I think it works in a much smaller, more, um, claustrophobic scale that's as much as i can probably say at the moment <laughs> oh so jack becomes a woman <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> yeah from jack jack russell to jane russell yes yeah, maybe who about it. <laughs> <laughs> i mean come on jack becomes jane <laughs> yeah this could be fun um it would be quite the story feel free to use it i give people ideas all the time <laughs> I'll send you the royalties. Yeah, no, that's all right. Send, yeah, no, send, send, send me all the hate mail for who, how did you ruin this story? My God, who did this? This is awful. No, that's terrible. But um, anyway, so um, at the end of the book, um, when you finished it and got it published, I just, um, how do you think it changed you now? Um, because every time I complete a book, I, I notice a difference in how I approach the next book. And I and so I'm thinking after this long haul of putting this together and getting it out now, do you look back and there are things different for you now? I don't know if it, if it changed my approach. I think it was more editing that changed my approach to writing than 
writing that book. But what it did do, um, because it was a success, because I had no idea if it would be a success or not, but because it was, um, it, it kind of um, validated all my doubts because I'd had so many doubts and fears about the book and about myself as an author. So it, it, it proved to me that I can do this um, and make a reasonably good job of it, I guess. And um, it then led to the audio book as well, which came out the following year, um, which was a whole different ball game, you know, in itself. Um, but the the original novel, um, I guess what it did is it validated, you know, me as an author, but it did also open the doorway. If it wasn't for a murder, of course, I wouldn't be an editor now, you know, it kind of got me noticed, I guess. Whether, I don't know if it itself changed how I approach writing, but I certainly think that um, it led to editing and then the editing changed the way I approached writing. So it was kind of a, a slightly convoluted route to that. Yeah, and you read your own book, your audio book, which I find is fascinating. I think it's a good thing if you can do it. Um, because um, you know the feeling of the story, you know the details, the insides and outs. I think it's great to do that. Um, was that a real struggle for you too, or was it? Did you find it simple? Um, in some ways, it was. It wasn't too difficult. In other ways, it was very difficult. Um, I mean, I, I used to be an actor, as I mentioned, so um, I knew in, as soon as I heard that we had an audiobook deal, uh, which I hadn't know, I hadn't expected. It wasn't something that was you know, part of the contract when I signed with Unbound, it happened, um, I think it was about six months later after the book came out that the deal uh, was suddenly announced. Um, but I knew as soon as I heard about it, I thought, I want to read this. Um, and the reason was, as, as you've mentioned, you know, I, I, only I knew the book inside out. Nobody else would. It would take an actor a certain amount of time to get under the book's skin. But I also felt that if I was to narrate it, I could add another layer to it. You know, I could, I could imbue it with another layer of meaning, if that makes sense, um, just through the tone of my voice and, you know, things like that. So I was really, um, but I still had to audition. Um, I had to, had, I had to send a tape, um, sorry, a, a, an audio clip of my voice reading from the book. Um, so I still had to go through an audition process for my own book, um, which was quite strange. Um, Sorry, and I, and an I passed on that, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I passed. I got the part, as they say. Um, so it was quite, it was quite strange. Um, and then I, I went down uh, to record it. And um, the problem that this is where it got problematic because it's a, it's a, it's quite a hefty book. You know, it's quite long, and um, it's got many characters. It's, I think there's about 30 characters in the book or thereabouts. And, of course, I had to find a voice for each and every one. And that was really, really difficult. I had to think, you know, even even for one character that had one line, I had to think, right, that voice still needs to be a little bit different from all the others. So it was uh, it was hard work, actually. Um, but I was very glad I did it. Um, and it became a bestseller, too, which, you know, so I was really thrilled um, that, that in itself became a success all over again, um, you know. So, so it was a very different project, you know. But I was very pleased with, you know, to be able to take part in it and then, you know, to to see the end results. Well, in the same vein, I, I see that you attend uh, Noir at the Bar. 
And uh, oh, for those who don't know what that is, it's you know authors get up and they read their work in front of an audience. Um, it, it, that seems like you'd be like really in your element, uh, having having uh, acted and been trained as an actor to, to do something like that. And drinking. And drinking. And drinking, yes. And I, I'm, 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 I am actually drinking white wine as we speak. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, Noir at the Bar is fantastic. If, there, if there's any authors out there who haven't been to it, I mean, they do it all over. I mean, it started, I think, in uh, was it America, that it, it started. It was invented in America, if I remember right. And it's travelled all over the world, and um, you know it's it's hugely successful. Um, and I recommend you know to anybody, it's, it's great fun just to go along, either to read from a, a work in progress or a published book, um, or just to go there to to watch and and to see it all unfold. And what's really nice about it is, and it's what it's something that's really, I don't know how it is in America, but certainly you know in the UK. Um, the crime writing genre is very democratic. You know, there's no pecking order. I mean, you, you can be one minute, you know, speaking to an equally nervous debut author and then the next minute you're speaking to Ian Rankin, you know, and there's no, you know, there's, you mix and mingle. There's no difference. There's no snobbery about crime writing. And I think that's why Noir at the Bar is so successful because it's so, you know, anybody can come along. There's, there's no pecking order at all. Um, but getting up on on stage and reading, yes, I, I don't mind doing it. I still get nervous, as as anybody does. I, I did build a bit of a reputation, and I know that some authors did actually say, I don't want to be going up before or after Ian Skews, because he's too good at it. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I felt terrible. I thought, oh, God, you know, and, uh, but, you know, when I'm up, when, when I, I'm up reading, I try to do the best I can for, for the book, you know, to tell the story and to get it across. But, um, you know, but I, I get equally nervous. I'm as nervous as anybody else, you know, when I go up to do these things, you know, and even a glass of wine, it might help a little bit, but it still doesn't stop you from getting, you know, the shakes a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's just the DTs after the wine, yeah. mind you. <laughs> you just got to keep drinking. That's another story. Keep drinking, right. <laughs> keep drinking. Keep drinking. <laughs> keep drinking. Keep drinking. <laughs> Um, are you into the social media? Do you like to interact with readers and do you sort of do a lot with social media? Uh, yes. Um, I, in fact, that, that's uh, one of the best things about having my website is because I get to speak directly to the readers. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I, um, I do a lot of short stories and I've, I've just done a novella that came out last year. And these are all free for subscribers to my website. Um, and they often will write to me and tell me what they thought of this short story that I did, for example. Um, you know, and so it's, it's nice to keep getting getting continued feedback um, because ultimately, you know, and, you know, you can do all sorts of social media. I mean, at the moment, I think I'm quite, you know, I've taken a back seat from it, you know, because it's, it's exhausting. It's very draining social media. You know, it's ever present. It's difficult to get away from it. Once you're there, you end up going down the rabbit hole, you know, all the time when you're on the internet. Um, and I think it's because it's related to directly to the work you do. You're at, you're at the screen as an author, you're at the screen as an editor, and then of course you're at the screen yet again, this time is for, for, you know, for social media purposes. Um, so it's difficult to get away from it anyway, you know. Um, I do enjoy it. Um, and I like, I mean, I, I also, you know, whoever's book I'm editing, once that book is published, I'll always help advertise it as well. I always, you know, um, so I don't just 
advertise my own work. I'm also helping other authors with their work as well. So there's a lot of social media um, that I've been doing of late that is actually for other authors. Um, so enjoy that because it's nice not to have to blow your own trumpet, you know, and you can... Yeah. I nearly said blow other people's trumpets and then I thought that's going to sound good. That's not going to sound good to Americans. Right. I've said it. I've said it. You can edit that out. I don't know. Do they understand on Tondras? Oh, of course. Mm. Of course. They might not, but we do. Uh, uh, well, so what, let's give your website out. So uh, how do people find you? Ah, okay. So my website is www.ianskewis.com. Um, very easy to find and uh, all you do is uh, scroll down to the contact form and fill in your details make sure you check your junk mail because it's a two-part process you need to then confirm your email but really straightforward and then what I'll do I'll, you know once uh, I've got your details what I'll then do is I, I send out um, short stories and novellas and they're paperback and I send them out to authors all over the world. Um, and uh, there's no postage fee either. So I don't charge any postage. They're absolutely free. All I ask is that, and it's a voluntary thing, I have a donate button on my website. And if any readers want to donate something to help pay for the cost of printing the books, because they are expensive to produce because they're paperback only, um, then they can do so as well. But nobody has to, which is the beauty of it. It is free unless you want to make a donation, and that's voluntary, you don't have to. Great, and we'll have that up on our website so people can find you, oh, thank with, you. with one click and stuff like that. So uh, um, so what's um, so what's next? You, you don't really know? Or are you still kind of working on things with the next book? Um, I've got plans. I mean, I've, part two, I, I did a horror uh, story last year called The Awakening, uh, which is on my website, and I'm, wor I'm going to be working on part two of that, um, it's mostly done. I just need to tweak it a little bit and then get it out there later this year. And then I've got a short story um, that's coming out after that. So I'm hoping to get both of those books out during towards the end of this year, say. Um, and I would also like to start work on this novel, this second novel, round about June. Um, that's something I really, really want to do, you know. So, and I'll continue editing as well. I'm still editing. Uh, for other authors, and that's also a service that I offer, incidentally, via my website, uh, if anybody's looking for an editor. Um, so that's kind of, I'm pretty much, you know, I've got the, the, the year roughly mapped out. Um, so, uh, yes, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it never, it never goes the way you plan it, right? Never, you know, yeah, there's always there's always things yeah, that, that, that... It just kind of goes that, wherever it's going to go, right? And exactly, yes. Like that. Yeah. So, you know, a, a really good idea, too, is, you know, when someone gives you a bad review is to find them and take them and kill them in your book. <laughs> you know, just, just a suggestion, you know. I don't mind bad reviews if they're constructive. You know, I've, 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 I've actually screen... I've, I've actually done screenshots of some bad reviews because they were actually quite well constructed and actually and because I was a debut author I actually learned from them actually you know because I, and I thought they were actually quite well written um I've only had I think I've only ever had one one or two reviews maybe that I would say well actually I don't think that person's read the book properly they've really skimmed it you know and I would actually disagree and say no you're wrong about that you know which is fine I don't mind you know bad reviews happen everywhere for anything you know not everybody likes everything and that's absolutely fine um but sometimes bad reviews can be 
constructive, you know, they, they can take the form of constructive criticism too. Yeah. It's funny. The author we interviewed yesterday said he would find people that give him bad reviews and send them an email saying, don't read my books. Please. Oh, yes. right. Really? <laughs> Please stop reading my books. <laughs> like, I, thought, well, I suppose if that person's written a bad review, or bad bad read it. Yeah. I think that's quite, quite, quite nice, actually. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm totally ignoring Maybe that reviewer's a glutton for punishment. I don't know. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's, I think it's better not to obsess with it. I mean, you get them just like you get good ones. It's just like the best exactly. writers in the world yeah. today get really bad reviews. And it's there's... There's a lot more to it than just the book sometimes. So I, you know, yeah. you got to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, I guess. Not really. Well, absolutely. I mean, I've seen, I've seen people get bad reviews because the person bought what they thought was a completely different book by a different author and they obviously pressed the wrong button or something and got a different book and gave it one review because one star because it wasn't the book they'd ordered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that poor author didn't do anything wrong. They hadn't even read the book yet and they gave them one star because it was the wrong book in the first place. Well, yeah, I know. It's kind of ridiculous, actually, in, in yeah, a way. But, yeah. You know, it's how it is. So, exactly. well, let's see. Let's see. Hopefully we can get you some really good reviews. <laughs> so, ah, thank you. the book, to buy, you must buy this. It's called A Murder of Crows. And it's written by the great Ian Skewis, who was our guest. Thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Uh, lovely to have spoken to you both. Thanks, Ian. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.